I want to ask this question, though. It's kind of an uncomfortable question. Are we witnessing the end of Christianity in America? The faith appears to be losing cultural and political influence. More and more we find ourselves living in a post-Christian world. We're no longer living in Christendom where the government and the schools and the churches all kind of cooperated together. Those days are long gone where Christianity was the glue that kind of held everything together for society and culture. Truly, we live in a post-Christian world. New reality. Fewer people are self-identifying as Christians, and you may have heard of the rise of the nuns, right? They're on the rise. These are the people who claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. According to the latest statistics, they now comprise about 23% of the population, the highest percentage ever in polling. Church attendance across the country is uh, declining. More and more churches are closing their doors. And the disappearance uh, from church ranks of the millennial generation, those born between 1980 and 2000, is hastening the decline. Uh, Right now, only 6% of all churches in America are actually growing. So the church certainly isn't keeping pace with the growth of the U.S. population. But the millennials do seem to be, at the moment, a missing generation. One millennial blogger remarked, the millennials I know don't even think about the church. Never crosses their minds. Doesn't appear within the scope of their needs. As their fierce sense of spiritual independence grows, the need for external spiritual authorities, institutions, and venues shrinks. A lot of truth in that. Obviously, that's bad news for the future of the church. The Christian church does seem to be, as a whole, in retreat in our culture, and we're looking more and more like Europe with its empty cathedrals and its secular progressive ethos. Clearly, the world is changing. The world is very different from the one that I knew when I was in seminary and was trained for a particular world, and now I find, well, a different world. You have to do ministry different. I'm trying to all figure that out. Albert Mahler, who is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, responds to all this in rather dark tones, and this is what he writes. He says, A remarkable culture shift has taken place around us. The most basic contours of American culture have been radically altered. The so-called Judeo-Christian consensus of the last millennium has given way to a postmodern, post-Christian post-Western cultural crisis which threatens the very heart of our culture. Clearly, there is a new narrative, a post-Christian narrative that is animating large portions of this society. So there is no doubt that the Christian church has been marginalized. Uh, As I say, it's no longer the center of our culture. The church's voice is no longer welcome in the public square. Christian faith has been relegated strictly to the private sphere. If you happen to bring it out in public, you're liable to cause offense. 
One thing I've noticed here in the Pacific Northwest, which uh, next to New England has the worst church attendance in the country, is that people here are not only apathetic to Christian faith, but they're becoming more and more positively hostile to it. This is a new reality, a different world. Parallel to the Christian decline in America is a perceived decline in American moral values. Most Americans are very pessimistic about the future of the country's moral values. 77%, in fact, are pessimistic about moral values. Only 18% say they are getting better. And it doesn't matter, matter wh whether one is a Republican or a Democrat. Now, granted, there are different uh, ideas of what constitutes morality these days, but the general consensus is that moral values are headed in the wrong direction. You know, we can pick that up just in the coarseness of our culture and political discussions and other kinds of controversial discussions, right? There's a definite lack of stability. I think it's worse now than it used to be for a variety of reasons. So, church... <laughs> What are we to think and do? Is the Christian church in America going to die? In the midst of all the doom and the gloom, should we give in to despair and just kind of throw up our hands and just kind of retreat behind these beautiful walls, which at times can seem like a fortress? Is the cause of Christ hopeless in our country? And it does seem that God's people are powerless to stem the tide to affect positive change in our culture. Sometimes it feels as though we're living in exile, that we're sojourning in a very strange land. And I've said this before, but uh, more and more I'm feeling like a really strange duck. <laughs> uh, more and more convictional Christians are feeling more and more weird in this particular society. So it does. It feels kind of like we're in exile. We're in a strange land. We're in exile. Well, in 586 B.C., a long time ago, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem with its temple and carried off many of the Jews into exile so that for all intents and purposes, the nation of Israel was dead. The nation was no more. They mourned their situation and figured God was done with them. But then God spoke to his despairing people through a man by the name of Ezekiel, and he did so in a series of amazing visions. And Ezekiel describes one such vision in Ezekiel chapter 37, where we read, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, that's a striking image. There is nothing so devastating or so lamentable as a field full of dried bones. I mean, we can think of an old battlefield where the, where the bodies were left to rot 
and they were picked clean by the vultures. Uh, and so there's bits of bone all strewn over. And unfortunately, we've had enough media exposure to horrific scenes of massacre in our day that we can actually visualize that and kind of resonate with that in a way. <laughs> in this case, the dry bones are the bones of a slain nation. Israel was dead. Nothing but a field of bones. And Ezekiel, living in Babylon, records the laments of his people. They say, our bones are drying up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Defeated and now exiled, they are scattered among the nations like dry bones scattered in the field. But then God asks a question as God so often does, as we've been learning here these past few weeks. Son of man, can these bones live? And human experience says, well, of course not. You know, uh, you know bones don't come to life. Uh, what is dead is dead. Everybody knows that. And Ezekiel, no doubt, is tempted to say the same thing. But then Ezekiel remembers the one to whom he is speaking, and he answers, Oh, Lord God, you know. And his answer reflects his faith and the state of his own relationship with the Lord. Lord, only you know if it's possible or not. Only you, sovereign Lord, can bring old bones to life. With you, nothing is impossible. And so as Ezekiel surveys the valley of desolation, the valley of dry bones, God speaks yet again. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel, you see, did as God asked him. It was kind of a strange assignment, preaching to a bunch of dry bones. I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> preaching to a cemetery, right? <laughs> but he does it. And lo and behold, those old bones began to snap and crackle and pop. And they come together bone upon bone, clicking and, and uh, clacking all over the valley. It makes you think of the, the, the classic spiritual, which I will not sing for you today. But them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Toe bone connected to the heel bone. Ah, and so on. Bone, you know. The bones connected to the leg bone. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. Them bones, them bones going to walk around. Them bones, them bones going to walk around. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. So muscles and tendons and flesh, blood swell around these old dry bones. And there is hope. Suddenly there is hope, the potential for new life in the valley of dry bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, 
from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So God breathed life into those bones, echoing the creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 2. And all of a sudden, the people of God were reconstituted, made alive again, and they became a great spirit-fused army, ready to do the Lord's bidding, ready to carry on God's mission to the world, so that now there's new hope and there's new life, Spiritual renewal had come to God's people. They were to live in the land once again, and it was all God's doing. It was a result of God breathing his spirit into people, making the dead come alive. The same thing happened to God's people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, which is what we celebrate today. This is Pentecost. So listen to the story told in the New Testament book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. So that God breathed his spirit into those disciples who were gathered together in the upper room and new life came flowing into them. Those disciples who had been defeated and powerless, hapless, they went out from the upper room with power and conviction, ready to accomplish God's mission, and literally they turned the world upside down. They went out from the upper room, and the world hasn't been the same since. It's because of what happened at Pentecost that we're actually sitting here today, 2,000 years later. The Holy Spirit breathed power and life into his church, into his disciples. And the good news, you see, is that uh, the, the hopeful news, I mean the wonderful news, is that what God did for the people of Israel, what God did for the disciples in the upper room, God can do for his people today. So God asks you and me, we who are members of Christ's body, what he asked Ezekiel long ago. Can these bones live? What do you think? Is there hope for Christ's cause in America, in the world, or even in Europe? Is there hope for the church, for the God's people gathered and scattered? Is God done with us? Or is God able to breathe new life into us? And would that we would answer with faith like Ezekiel. O sovereign Lord, you alone know if anyone can change this world, this culture, this church, our lives, then you can. So we look to you, Lord God, in faith and trust to do what you have promised. Breathe in us, O oh God. Fill us with new life and then use us. 
We look forward to that time when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of your beloved Son. Alleluia. It will happen. Amen. So that, despite our weaknesses, despite all of our faults and our failures, our spiritual barrenness and apathy, God has not given up on us. When you hear all these dire statistics, you know, about the cause of crisis in America and it's going through it's going down the tubes, God has not given up on us. He's not given up on his church. God still has plans for us. Jesus himself said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Now, denominations, as we know them, may well be a thing of the past. But the church will always be present. And it will always be an outpost for God's kingdom. The number of self-identifying Christians may be declining in the U.S. at present, but in no way is Christianity dying. In fact, um, what's happening here is, you know, you, you read these statistics. I was listening to uh, Ed Stetzer, who is uh, a missiologist at Wheaton College. He knows the culture well, the church well. He says, you know, yes, church attendance is going down. Fewer people are self-identifying as Christians. But what's happening is that nominal Christians, Christians in name only, you know, who were culturally Christian, now have no reason to identify with Christianity. It's just not important to them. But the number of convictional Christians, those who take their discipleship seriously, is staying the same, or maybe even growing. So we're not dying. It's just that those who once would hang around the church are no longer doing so. Plus, please keep in mind that Christianity is growing rapidly in other parts of the world. I think the most uh, the, the fastest growing region right now in the world uh, is Africa. African Christianity is growing leaps and bounds. Latin America and in Asia, and now they're sending missionaries to North America and to Europe. So please know that the statistics are not as bad as you think they might be. But still, we have issues in our culture. We have issues with a missing generation at moments. Maybe the millennials, when they have children, and as they get to be older, they will want to have more of a spiritual foundation for their family or for themselves as they face, as people face their own mortality. I don't know. Oh, Lord God, you know. Is he Lord of the church or is he not? If it's his church, then we have nothing to worry about. God will take care of his church. And if we truly live our faith and take our, our discipleship seriously, we'll actually have in this culture a greater opportunity to be salt and light here. We will be different enough, and hopefully in, in a good way, that people will ask, what is the source of your love? What is the source of your confidence? And then we can answer. God is not done with you and me. Still wants to use us, but we have to receive his life-giving power. We have to have his spirit indwelling in us. 
God will renew his church. God will bring spiritual renewal once again to this land as he has in the past. Now, not long before he died, Billy Graham released a letter through his association in which he says that America needs a spiritual awakening more than, than ever before. And he wrote, If ever there was a time this country needed the intervention of God, it is now. We can and should pray for America as a whole. But remember that when God sets out to change a nation, he begins by changing people. It starts with individuals. Now, there is a lot of truth in that. In other words, the spiritual renewal of our country and of God's church must begin with you and me. There is a sense in which this church is as alive as you are. It starts with us and the change of hearts and the infusion of his power in our lives. Now, I like the story of this young man who was just out of seminary, uh, took a new position in a small church in uh, some town in Oklahoma. And so he hits town, and he's met by some parishioners who say, you know, Pastor, this is going to be a tough challenge for you because, for all intents and purposes, this church is pretty dead. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 we don't think there's much hope for this church, and we're, we're kind of surprised, Pastor, that, that, that you would uh, want to take a church like this and take it on because uh, it seems pretty darn hopeless. Well, that's not uh, what that young pastor wanted to hear as he was beginning his first position, you know, out of seminary. And, and, uh, but he was not, you know, so easily discouraged by circumstances. And, and he did come to see that there was a large measure of truth to what these other parishioners were saying. So uh, he decided that he would place, this is very clever, he would place a notice in the local paper announcing that the church was dead. And that the funeral that will be hold, will be held the next Sunday afternoon. Well, uh, so that Sunday came, and uh, a lot of curious people came because they had never been to a funeral for a church before, and you know what was all this going to be about, and so on, and and uh, so there were a lot more people there than uh, than normal, and uh, uh, there the, the there was a coffin, you know, placed in the front of the church, and. Uh, pastor preached a message and uh, you know said amen and and then he said you know you may come and now pay your last respects and uh, so the casket was opened and there was a long queue and and uh, uh, as people passed by and looked down into the coffin uh, they were startled and they 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 uh, glanced away with with uh, a guilty face. And uh, what it was, you see, was that the pastor had placed a mirror at the bottom of the coffin. So as people passed by the down the coffin, they saw the last remains of the church. The church is only as alive as its members. In other words, spiritual renewal of the country or of God's church must begin with you and me and with our own spiritual life. He needs to renew and change us from within 
from the inside out. God desires to breathe his spirit into you and to me, instilling new life and new passion to serve him in the world. And the most important thing that we can do to receive that spirit and begin the process of change is to pray. Sounds simple, but it's to pray for the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, change me. Change my heart, O oh God, that I might live for you. That's where it begins. Ezekiel prayed for God's breath to fall upon the valley of dry bones, and the dead were raised. It was while the disciples were praying in the upper room that the wind, the very breath of God came down upon them, and all of a sudden, despairing, spiritually weak disciples walked out of that room as a mighty army proclaiming God's message of salvation, of forgiveness, of new life in Christ, and their proclamation was full of power. For God says to his people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Pray for spiritual renewal for yourself, for the church, for this country of ours, for the world. Pray and then abide with the Lord. Walk with him day by day. He'll show himself to you. Is God done with you and me? Is he done with this church? With the Christian church? Is America a lost cause? Can these bones live? What do you think? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Can God put meat on old dry bones and breathe new life into them? Oh, Lord, you alone know. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Holy Spirit, from creation's birth, giving life to all that God has made, show your power once again on earth. Cause your church to hunger for your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road of sacrifice. That in unity the face of Christ will be clear for all the world to see. Amen.